Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, and this is episode number 25, and I will let you know the guest a little bit later. Uh, but uh, obviously, if you've already downloaded the show, you already know it. It's not like I'm keeping you in suspense. But <clears throat> anyways, the show is brought to you in conjunction with Property of Zach. Visit propertyofzach.com, stop fucking around, and you will get the latest, greatest, awesomest news, interviews, reviews, all about independent music, um, ranging from, you know, the bands that you would see at Warp Tour all the way down to, you know, hardcore bands, metal bands, that type of stuff. Um, but the killer feature for me is the sort of editorial stuff that he uh, puts up there on the site. Um, he gets a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff with bands, um, and it's interesting for me because, um, you know, obviously me being older than a average kid in a band these days, um, it gives me insight to what they are experiencing. And, you know, if this is obviously changed over the years, whether my experience touring in a band is different than what a kid is experiencing currently. So anyways, that's just my own personal enjoyment out of the site. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be partnered with them and, um, awesome. So let's get some business out of the way. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. That way you will get all of the latest shows as they get posted. Um, if you don't do iTunes and you just want to listen to the shows on a web browser, you can do that or you can download an MP3 from there. Um, I post them every Tuesday, like I post all the other new episodes on the iTunes store. And speaking of the iTunes store, if you are inclined to help the show out, go there. You will be able to give us some sort of star review, three stars, four stars, five stars. And if you wanted to dive in a little bit deeper, then you can give us a full review. I read all of them, and if I give them digital high fives, I don't know who these people are, because obviously it's just pseudonyms or usernames or whatever you like to call it, so... Anyways, uh, I appreciate that. And um, on the website as well, uh, we do some, you know, when we, I say me, <laughs> recommendations on, um, you know, stuff I've been watching recently, stuff I've been listening to. Um, and it's a fun way to interact with, uh, you know, listeners of the show. So go there. It's the hub for everything. Now... On to the reason that we are doing this 25th episode and why it's a little bit different is the fact that I'm interviewing myself. Um, I just thought it would be interesting for some people to uh, check out, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing um, and kind of how I got involved in, you know, this whole crazy world known as independent music. Um, so I brought on one of my close friends and very good friend of the show and cultural correspondent to the show occasionally, uh, Scott Arnold. <clears throat> I've known him for forever and a day, it feels like. Um, and he always uh, asks, you know, interesting questions. And so basically him and I sat down, he interviewed me, and this is exactly what transpired. Um, some The room that we recorded in is very echoey. I apologize if you have to turn up your listening device or turn it up in the car. Um, 
there aren't a lot of volume peaks. So you're not going to be pissed at me when all of a sudden, you know, like the music comes in. Well, the music will come in at the end of the show. So be prepared because it'll probably be loud if you did turn it up. I'm like overly sensitive about this. I don't want anybody to have a bad listening experience. Anyways, so yeah, the room is a little bit echoey. So it's a little bit quieter than usual. And I apologize for that. Um, But that was the lot that we were dealt. Um, So yeah. Here it is, more about me and all the stupid stuff I've done in my life. So there you go. Hopefully you enjoy. Okay, everybody, welcome. My name is Scott, former co-host of Ray's previous podcast that I was dismissed from. Readily dismissed from. Scott was bringing absolutely nothing to the table. Yep. And myself and former co-host, Mr. Cahill, were unceremoniously dismissed via email. Broke our hearts. Um, it, it, it did not. So this whole podcast is going to be about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is I, just going to be one giant hit piece? Yes. That's good. Ray and I have known each other for nearly a decade. That's great. That is. Just, just think that when we're forty, we'll have known each other for twenty some odd years. Yeah, which is nuts. Yeah, we are sitting in an office in Huntington Beach, California. Yes, drinking coffee. I'm not. I am. You are. Um, and today we are going to reverse the roles of the podcast a bit and learn a little bit about the man behind the microphone. Very good, Ray Harkins. I like how you put that. The man behind the microphone. That's Welcome, nice. Ray. Well, thank you for having me, Scott. I appreciate you. you. You did take a vested interest in this, and obviously, I appreciate you scheduling this. So, yes. thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Ray, give me a synthesis of your life for the last 10 years. A synthesis? Since I, well, why would I do that? Because that's since you've known me, you'd be able to do that roughly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm not putting pressure on you to do so. I'm the one asking the question. You are. Okay. 10 years of my life. So I'm 31 years old right now. So 21 at not end up. Uh, 21. I was at this point. Were you still in college at 21? Uh, I, yeah, I think I was doing OCC just a community college. Um, totally biding my time, like not really caring about anything that I was doing there besides the fun classes, like film study and human sexuality, you know, the, the real fun classes you babysitting, of course. So I was doing that, just dicking around. Don't get me started. I know. Because, um, yeah, I think I was, let's see, because I went to San Diego State 2000, so like 99 and 2000. Or did, yeah, I think that was One wrong. year? One year. Bailed out on that because... You went to the end of the year. I did. Um, my grades weren't that stellar, but... No, no, no. I can kick that because basically, I for whatever reason, I was really focused on getting a degree in small business. I don't know why that was just like what I wanted, but um, Cal Poly Pomona offered that degree, but then uh, I didn't go out there because I didn't want to live in Pomona because Pomona's a hellhole. Um, no offense to anybody that's listening to the podcast that lives in Pomona, but um, so yeah, then I just uh, went to San Diego State thinking that like every college offer degrees of that nature, but they didn't. And so then I just ended up doing, uh, I can't even remember what, I was just doing general ed, so it didn't matter. I wasn't declaring a major. Um, but I really enjoyed that experience being down there. It was fun. It was a total melting pot of 
so many different random people. Like I yeah. remember my first day, because you had, you had a roommate. You had no fucking clue who this person was supposed to be or was going to be. So I was terrified. I was like, oh, okay, is this going to be, you know, some total fraternity party dude that I'm going to be like, oh, great, this is going to suck. Uh, or is it going to be some, you know, really weird introverted person like Scott Arnold uh, where I'd have to take like six months to break open some sort of shell and have a community. I'm not introverted. You I'm, are. I protect myself. <laughs> okay. You, you build walls. <laughs> but uh, so this dude, I got there first and got my side of the room, set it all up. Dude, you you have Such to. Such a bad start. No. Well, what are you, uh, am I you supposed to, to wait? Wait there for hours, not knowing when this dude is going to come by. Anyways. No, let's talk about this. Yeah. I d- You've I, watched many seasons of The Real World. I have. It always goes better for the collective house and the relationship between people if they wait and evenly sort of figure out a way to sure. divide up the rooms. Here, I would counter that argument with the fact, I mean, I agree for The Real Granted, you were punctual and you should be rewarded. Yes, but this room on both sides was identical. The only difference was one side had the refrigerator and the other side was blank. So that was literally the only difference. I did not. I did. I I wanted a spot to put like my TV at the foot of my bed. I mean, when you think of college dorms, like just imagine Counter Strike and (laughs) yes, miserable. Totally. I mean, and these. You felt like you were in a prison ward. Like, you didn't walk in and were like, oh, this feels like home. It was like, oh, brick walls, like, you know, tile floor, terrible. So, anyways, that was that was why I felt compelled to just make up, make his mind up on where he was staying. So, who was he? Uh, his name was Brian Reckworth. Okay. He shows up. First words to me. Yo, 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 my name's Brian Reckworth, but you can call me Rec. And I was like, oh, shit. This guy's going to have no idea where I'm coming from, which was the case. But... At that time, you're forced to hang out with him because you don't know anybody there. So, uh, the o- literally the only thing that we like had a common bond on was the fact that neither of us were going to pledge a fraternity. Why to- do you, you go into school? What do you mean? I, I just wasn't interested in that. Okay. From from I mean, would you ever be interested in that? The, uh, Depends what the experience was. Uh, there is, there is. But San Diego State notoriously is a party school, and I just wasn't interested in right. it. So, but then, let's see, fast forward three weeks later, he shows up to our room with a fraternity pin, and I was like, Ooh. hey, what, are you pledging? He said, uh, yeah. And this is, this statement is said by everybody who's ever joined a fraternity ever. Dude, this fraternity isn't like all the others. Like, you know, they're really brothers. They watch out for you. And it was like just everything that he was saying was like very typical of what yeah. a, a kind of freshman would say about it, um, which is fine. I mean, he had fun with it. And I'm not going to sit here and judge it and be so like. did he move into the fraternity? No, he had because freshmen can't like I think that's part of the rules. They oh. can't move into the, the pledge house or whatever. But he spent a lot of time there. And he spent a lot of time passed out on our floor as well. Yeah. So I'd walk in after, you know, going to a show and be like, oh, cool. Here's my passed out roommate who's snoring and yeah no we were cool we just kind of stayed out of each other's way and uh there were very rare occasions where he brought a girl back and i was like oh. and he was the fucking filthiest dude ever so it's like if a girl did come back and was like laying in his bed i'm like i wanted to like tap her on the shoulder and be like this is filthy but anyways so that was my and so then i left there 
to come back home and go to OCC because at the time uh, that's when like the band stuff started doing well, and so we kind of were. No, I moved back in with my parents. Um, I had because I had no desire to move out because I had a good relationship with my mom and dad, and just was like, well, I can save money by living with them. And they were paying for my school, so I was like, okay, that's that's fine. And plus, OCC is like four dollars a credit, yeah, <laughs> or a unit. It was then. So uh, yeah, I moved back in there, and that's what I was doing for that twenty-one, twenty-two time frame. Doing Taken, that was when things were really. I remember doing a lot of calls at OCC campus, like trying to book tours and trying to like get our way onto tours. Oh, it would. I, I mean, email was obviously still like was just starting to pop up from that perspective, mm-hmm. but it was still a lot of phone calls. And so, anytime it's like I would get a phone call in the middle of class, and I would just straight up walk out because I'm like, this is important. Like, we may be able to tour with Darkest Hour. So that was that was what I was doing at that time. Great. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we eventually decide college is not for us. Correct. And. The band is gaining exposure. Yes. Exposure. Yes. And tell me about that transition to becoming, or aspiring to be a full-time band guy. Yeah. The. And what was your inspiration? Sure. I never, me, for me personally, I was never, I never felt like I could make a living off of the band. Like, all the money that we did make during those tours and stuff, that, like, all went back into the band, you know, all went back into merch or the maintenance of the van. So, you know, I never took like, well, all of us, we never took like per diems or anything, you know, all the money that we made was like exclusively spent on the band. Um, it, just our own money. Um, I mean, it, it, towards like the last two or three years of taken, we did start to be able to make enough money to be like, all right, you know, one well, yeah one one meal a day would be on the band or whatever um but yeah i was very cheap from that perspective so and i was the one that was controlling most of the money and no one was really being like dude i don't have any money we can you know whatever so i never had those desires to be the full-time band guy like barely making any money so whatever job that i was going to do i had to either when I came back home to be able to like transition right into it, you know? So like, that's why I was working at Bionic records because anytime I'd be home from tour, I can obviously pick up ships there. Yeah. Um, and then once the uh, job opportunity of the century media family started to open up and I started to talk to them, uh, that was like my first question where it's like, I'm not stopping touring. Um, but I explained it to them where, it's beneficial for me to be on tour because obviously like, you know, you look at, at the time, like the successful record labels or the, you know, the successful independent record labels that were kind of on the up, like, you know, death wish and, um, black market activities, like guy from the red cord. It's like, so there, there's these dudes that are in bands who were kind of the Isaac Brock. Oh, completely, completely. But right. So I, I, selfishly I made the argument where it's like, you know, this is beneficial. Like I'm able to see bands. I'm able to like have, uh, so yeah, I'm able to have meetings with people like, you know, whatever we go through New York city. I'm able to like, Hey, come out to our show. And like, we can talk about, you know, whatever. Right. So they understood that and they were like, we're cool with that. And so they still paid me on tour, which was basically the best thing ever. But it also sucked because 
you know, after shows as opposed to like hanging out, I'd have to like, you know, go back to the hotel or right. person's place we're staying at and do emails until like two or three in the morning. So that kind of sucked. But right. the transition into that was, it was difficult to have that conversation with my mom to be like, all right, I'm going to quit school because I need to do the band and I do have this job. So it was like, she was scared because she didn't understand what, what, like working for a record label, like what does that even mean to our parents? Yes. No idea. And so she, she was like, okay, like you're going to do what you're going to do. I can't stop you. But I did make a promise to her. I was like, yo, I'm going to graduate before I'm 30. I promise you that I will, con- like, I will get this education. I did. 30. Before I was 30. Yeah. 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 So, um, I did make that promise to her. Cause I was like this, you know, she did understand that this was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like if I didn't do this now, when would I be able to like recreate that later in my life? So, and I, I'm not, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the dudes in Taken as far as like wanting to have that be their primary source of income. But I think everybody had that sort of mentality. Like if this were to transition into it, that would be awesome. But no one had like their, right. Like everyone obviously had jobs and like understood that we needed to spend our own money on stuff as opposed to, um, you know, just siphoning off of merch sales or whatever. Sounds like a tough way to live. It. It was, but it I mean, just because we were all so excited about all the steps that we were taking, it was just like, well, dude, we got to do what we got to do. And everyone had a job that understood the parameters of what we were trying to do. So that was fortunate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then the stars did not align. The stars did not align. The fateful, the fateful day of the... Tell me about the last day of well the, well, the last official day was, I mean, we, you know, we played our last show, obviously, but we knew we were breaking up, you know, like before that, obviously. Right. So like, I mean, the, the actual day when everything went down was, we always practice at our bassist Nick's house on Sundays because he had built this amazing, I mean, amazingly hot, but amazing like work shed. It was like a tough shed that we bought. Uh-huh. And, you know, he spent, you know, months outfitting it with, like, soundproofing. And it was an awesome room. Um, so, anyways, we would practice over there. And, um, you know, we'd take breaks or whatever. So, and I distinctly remember, like, there, you didn't feel weird, like, as far as, like, okay, like, I think something's going to happen this day. I did have a feeling that one of our guitarists, Eric, who had been with us for about two years, he didn't like touring. Like, he just was the type, he, he wasn't built for it. Yeah. And his personality didn't suit it. So when, after we had got home, that, that was like our most extensive, like four months of touring. So it was like, you know, pretty strenuous from yes. just like being out there. So I knew he was going to quit. I just didn't know when that was going to come down the pipe. So this was, I think it was, I want to say it was November. Cause I think we played our last show like in Marchish or something. I can't remember the time frame really, but. We, um, usually we just hung out in Nick's bedroom, like in between sessions or whatever. And we'd play like video games and whatever, shoot the shit. So Eric was like, Hey guys, I got to talk to you. And so in my mind, I was already like, all right, who's going to replace him? Like, who are we looking for? So Eric lays it down. Like, I can't do this. Like, I just don't enjoy it. And you know, all of us were, we had already seen the writing on the wall, but, um, so it wasn't a surprise so eric was like okay cool like you know dude it sucks we love to play with you but you know like you gotta do what you gotta do so then literally like i i think i was outside nick's bedroom nick was walking out 
and our original guitarist Chad was still sitting on the bed and he was like hey guys there's something I want to talk to you about and that that's when like shit got real where it was like what are you what wow so I think they were conspiring with one another I don't I have no sense of if they were they were communicating on they might have been commiserating like together on tour be like oh man this kind of sucks but should phone a friend and find out I know <laughs> should bring somebody in but the the well at least the, the impression that chad gave was the fact that he was quitting basically because just real life you know like mm-hmm. i th- i think at the time the girl that he was dating and this is me just theorizing whether or not this is actually true is you know something i've never really hashed out with him and maybe retrospective like him looking back on it he may be able, be able to be like yeah that was the reason but i believe he was getting a lot of pressure from a girl he was dating at the time um not like terrible pressure like you're a fucking idiot if you keep doing this but just like you know hey like you have this graphic design career, like you can't do it when you're on the road and, you know, all this other stuff. So I think that was maybe like the voice in his ear that started to get him to think about it more on his own terms. And so um, once he kind of... It can be miserable. Touring? Driving around all day. It sucks. No totally. I mean, there. it's like... Yeah. For every positive impression that people have... Wait, on, wait first of all, let me tell please. you what I ridiculed him. Okay. It was after we toured that show. Did you, I mean, what the most extensive tour you've done is like, you know, when you went to like with other bands, never. Right, you were never. So you, you, you are actually a great buffer because it's like we always. I remember on tour, we always loved to have you know another person from one of the bands that we were on tour with in the van because they would be sort of like everybody would be on their best behavior right. and everyone would be like talking to that person and kind of like mixing it up with them as opposed to the you know stupid petty shit that you talk about where it's like. You're wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the best is political discussions in a van. Even though it's like we're all kind of of the same mind, it's like anytime it gets on a topic that could be divisive, it's just like stop fucking talking about that in the van because this is going to lead to a fist fight. Right. But the, uh, but yeah, like you said, not to mention, I mean, touring is not, for every, like I said, for every positive impression, yeah. there's like 10 things that can back it up that are negative and I suck. Yeah. Well, you are like nine feet tall, and it's not nine feet tall. Right. Don't prefer to be with people. <laughs> the, and the <laughs> introverts don't make it on tours, and that's that's just a reality. Yeah. So, and that's I mean, Chad was always like quiet, but he was social. Like he could yeah. he could be around people and not be. Are you saying I can't be around people? Uh, you choose to be around people at, when it's con- when it's convenient for you. Precisely. Um, exactly. So once Chad, yeah, once Chad threw down the gauntlet, that's when, I mean, my own mentality was if we did lose another original member, um, because as you well know, like our drummer Troy had left, um, you know, whatever, like a year and a half prior to that. And so Nick, Chad, and I were like, okay, we're the core three. If this changes for us, then obviously we should probably think about wrapping it up. So I remember for like a few days after, um, you know, it's like just trying to sort out in my head as far as like who can replace who and, you know, how this would look. Um, and I do remember sitting down for at a Starbucks with Nick to be like, all right, like, let's really try to plan this out. Like Nick was definitely of the mindset of like, dude, we should probably just hang this up. But I was really like, no, like, cause, cause we were about to sign like a record deal about to tour like Japan. There was a lot of stuff that was happening that was like, Yo, if we just last for another year, year and a half, there's shit that, you know, right. Um, but then having, after having that discussion with Nick, I was kind of like, 
he seems pretty defeated. Like I, I didn't feel like he had the sort of get up and go-ness. Yeah. Um, and then like about a, two months later or maybe a month and a half or so, that's when the drummer that we had at the time was like, yo guys, I can tell like stuff's not happening with us. So I'm going to go ahead and join Name Taken, which was, you know, a nice little twist of fate where it's like, oh, that's funny. Um, because that band legitimately did tell me at one point that like we got our name from you. Mm-hmm. Not like musically inspired, but being mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, like, you know, all the good names are taken. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's our name. So once that kind of happened, then it was like, all right, let's figure out a way to record these last songs and like properly wrap the band up as opposed to like just kind of disappear. Enter me, your world. Enter, enter Monarchy Music Corporation. Boom. That's very true. We had it. The, the vinyl was out for the last show, right? Like, we sold it at the last show, I think. I can't remember. But, yeah. That's where you entered my life. Some random dude emailing me, being like, I would love to start a Hydrahead Rip Records rip-off label. And uh, I would love to put out the Taken EP on vinyl. And I said, I would love that. That's a spectacular idea. I did go to your weird apartment. It, what surprised me most about meeting you is that like, I just never recognized you from a show. Like it was one of those things where, because you were such a demanding physical presence and you are a very unique looking individual. Whoa. It's true. Just saying, you're, you are both of those things that I would have recognized you before. But then when you answered the door, I was like, I've never fucking seen this dude ever, but that's awesome. Right. The Ryan Gosling. (laughs) You just show up to shows. No one knows, but the rumors right. exist right, right. that you were at a show. So, yes, that's where everything happened, where my life turned for the better. Okay, let's fast forward, Brett. Okay. Looking back now. Yes, I will look back. Are you glad you went through all that? Oh, of course. Do you wish you would have spent your time trying to avoid it? No, I don't know. I mean, the, the, once I did get bitten by the musical bug, so to speak, I always knew that I wanted to make a living out of it but not directly tied up into a band, if that makes sense. Or I was like, okay, I see that there is a way to potentially make money off of this and be able to make a living, but not exclusively, you know, screaming for 40 years of my life. Cause I knew that that wasn't a sustainable thing, not only physically, but um, from a career standpoint, spiritually, spiritually as well. Um, but yeah, so then just the fact that I was able to take those experiences and be able to figure out a way to make money off of it from a professional standpoint, like transition into, you know, working for record labels and being business minded about music. Um, I was glad. I mean, that was the only, literally the only reason that I have pretty much everything in my life from, you know, my marriage to whatever else is all stemmed from music and those, you know, humble beginnings of, you know, picking up fat records releases and you know victory record stuff yeah it's a great record or fat music for fat people volume one yes um so yeah but of course like i'm I'm very excited that i'm not in any other position because i couldn't even imagine my life elsewhere where were you born born in las vegas nevada 1980 you do you really like do you hate nevada or vegas actually i like nice hotel rooms yes like nice things Yes. But I don't like going outside there. It's very hot. I mean, I look like my experience there was I'll always have fond memories of that, even though, I mean, I moved to Southern California when I was like seven. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, the limited memories I do have. But I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you don't give a shit about heat. So it's like, yeah, but 
the Vegas is easily, I mean, it's one of the weirdest places on this planet just because you have such a, you know, it's such a tourist destination mixed in with, you know, the rampant homelessness mixed in with the suburbs. Like it's just such a weird relationship that the people that live there and are born there have with like, you know, the strip and like what people know. Totally, totally. Um, And so it's like, yeah, people, anytime I do say that I'm born in Vegas, people are like, no one's born there. People just either like go there to retire or they just go there on vacation. Like no one's ever actually born there. Yeah. But um, yeah. Au contraire. Au contraire. I was born there. And yeah, like I said, I lived there up until I was seven. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause my parents got divorced when I was about three or four or so. Uh-huh. Um, dad was fucking around on a million different girls, but, and then, yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, he, uh, I know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean this. I don't know what, any other way to explain that away other than that's, that's kind of what he did, but people will, be people. people will be people. And, uh, there was this, like a severe legal battle over me as far as like who is going to be the, you know, the primary custody. Were you aware of this? I wasn't aware of it, but I mean, apparently it was like, you know, courtrooms and like, this was a long, a longer process. So it's like my dad was fighting for me. My mom was fighting for me. Um, I mean, I'm extremely thankful that I ended up with my mom because I think I would be, well, I think I know I would be a completely different person. Um, well, yeah, stepbrothers that I had like with my dad's second marriage were the worst ever. Who you don't talk to me? No, terrible. Sorry. Well, we, I mean, this is when I was like nine and 10 and like, you know, I don't have any concept of like staying in touch with someone. I know. Was he still, when he died, was he still with? no 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 he had transitioned into his third wife which was legitimate and like someone that i wish he would have been married to years and years prior but um but yeah so i'm thankful that i ended up in my mom's custody not taking away anything from my dad but just that sort of environment that anytime i would visit him in vegas and like be introduced to his crazy world it was like you know this isn't healthy bringing me on multiple dates in a day (laughs) <laughs> like, I would go to like miniature golf in the afternoon with one chick and then in the evening we'd be going to dinner with some other girl and it was like this shouldn't be what you're doing when you're like nine or ten years old right. like and I can only imagine what it would have been if it was like you know continuing if I if I was there on a full-time basis so I'm very glad that I didn't do that yes um but that you know not taking away anything from my dad because he definitely was a you know, a huge part of my life. And even though I was estranged from him for a few years, I, you know, I'd still, I did grow close to him and I did appreciate the sort of real talk that he gave me. Like he is, and again, this shows up his fucked up nature where he, like, I think at 18, he was like, all right, once you turn 18, I'm going to get you a hooker. We're going to get you laid. That's what he said. Straight up. And I, I mean, and it wasn't from a, it was purely from like an educational standpoint, he's like, I don't want you not knowing what to do around women from that perspective. And that's so, the only that. I know. And that's whether or not it was an actual joke. Like, I mean, like I didn't end up doing that. <laughs> but, well, I mean, you believe what you want, oh, I will. <laughs> but he, uh, I'll draw my own conclusions. yeah, you draw your own conclusions. He, uh, so I, I mean, I didn't end up doing that, but just like, well, I mean, the fact that he would even put that out there, I'm just like, there probably has to be some half truth in that just yeah. because, yeah. Like, if you would have made the move, he would have helped. 
Yeah, I do truly believe if I, if I like, would have belabored yeah, cool. Totally. If I would have been like, actually, yeah, you know what? That's a really good idea. But because of that, like, you know, the sort of, you know, straight talk that I am comfortable doing from time to time, yeah. it, you know, directly comes from him. So I am thankful for that. Good. But yeah, Southern California, 107. In high school in Orange. Correct. Small, tiny oh, Lutheran. It was uh, Orange Lutheran because I did go. I went to private schools my entire life, like Christian elementary school, Lutheran junior high school, and then a Lutheran high school. You never went to a private school, right? Yeah. yeah. Went to daycare. I know you got brought up in the hard streets of Irvine with with your one black friend Brandon (laughs) Hamilton. Um, Miss you. (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast right now, drop us an email. Um, But the the re and it wasn't like my parents were or like my mom specifically was super religious she just always liked the idea of small class sizes and that was obviously how you achieve that yeah she's a teacher teacher, so she knew what it was like to have you know 45 students in an english class and you know 30 of them don't give a shit about what's happening and they're getting lost in the system so to speak so she that's true it's very difficult inspiration comes in many different forms so you know about my plan. No, what's your plan? When I become a billionaire. Okay. I'm going to start a school. Okay. It's going to be like X. But oh, yeah, yeah. School for the gifted, sure. Well, not necessarily gifted. Okay. I will turn them into gifted. Oh, okay. This will be, you will be molding young minds. It, will it be a private school that people have to pay a lot of money to attend? No, free. Completely free. Okay. And Large large student body? like. Um, I don't know. It's okay. going to be world leaders, so probably not. Okay. Um, you could obviously there's an interview process in order to get into the school. Yes. Okay, got it. That uh, makes sense. There's going to be a lot of sort of unorthodox teaching styles. Uh, I would say the sixth grade final. Yeah. And by the way, the one of the core things is you don't move on until you get off the list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're not just ushered through the system. Exactly. Right. 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 One of the core things is you're going to have to at the end of the sixth grade, just okay. like I was, sure. just like me. Right. Right. Direct the, inspiration. Yeah. You're going to have to ride the bus. Oh, and plan it out by yourself. Okay, all day. Okay, yeah. with like certain destinations, like you have to get to these three destinations within a day yes. by taking public transit. Yeah, got well, it. My biggest voyage was Long Beach to Orange County, so that'll probably be. That's a good. That's a good voyage. And I think maybe sophomore year will be cross country. Okay, bus cross country. That could be terrifying for a fourteen or fifteen year old. Yeah, but uh, I made it. Throw them at the deep end. Yeah, look at me. I know. You're a shining example of what a human should be. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, so that my mom always wanted small class sizes. So that's why I went through all those, you know, uh, Christian and Lutheran schools. And, you like school? Um, I, you like the so, yeah, I mean, had, I had great experiences in school. Like, I definitely don't look back on my high school years and they're like, oh, fuck that. I didn't go to any dances. Like, I didn't, I totally did all that. I was part of the high school experience. Like, you know, yearbook, basketball, golf, dances. Like, I did all of that. But. Yearbook class? I was the yearbook photographer, junior and senior year. Was it like 13 pages long? No. Well, I mean, we had, let's see, I think our entire school was like, just shy of a thousand people. It's like eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't like. Yeah, it wasn't like you know seven people a class. Um, but uh, so I, I mean, school. I really didn't care that much about. Like I, I was able to put forth an okay amount of effort and be able to get B's and A's. 
So, I mean, I think my GPA was like 3.1 or something. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was really nose to the grindstone. Like right. I got to get straight A's in order to get admitted to a college. Like I just... Do you regret that? Um, I mean, I regret not getting more out of it, you know, as far yeah. as like... I applied myself in the subjects I cared about, which was English and like history, but it's like math. I always had an aversion to just because it was primarily because all of my teachers were totally shitty people. Like I just didn't like them. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely wish that I could have, and like certain random things where it's like my wife is a product of, um, you know, pub, the public schooling system. And it's like, I've literally never read one word of Shakespeare, like just because that was not part of like our, you know, People would argue that, and I I would agree with you because I've witnessed certain Shakespearean plays, and I don't understand what's happening. But um, so yeah, there's certain things where I'm just like, wow, I really missed out on this cultural touchstone. Like I'm aware of it now, but just right. on an ad, from the outside looking in perspective. <laughs> um, um, well, it was just never something I was interested in. Like I, it, it never spoke to me deeply. Like it really was all about the sort of creative element that always kind of the creative mixed with the sort of like entrepreneurialness of you know what I was doing because I mean you know like my junior and senior year in high school it's like every summer I was touring like with Taken so yeah I mean that's that's when our first tour was our junior year that was our amazing Montreal exactly that was our amazing let's see I think we, we were out for about five weeks four or five shows it was incredible it was just a vacation but um it is a i mean driving wasn't even like we didn't even think about it at the time just because it's you know you're with your friends and it doesn't matter but um so yeah i just never i never cared about science from that perspective so it wasn't it wasn't something that i regret yeah not paying attention or i paid attention to but i just it didn't speak to me deeply so yeah so, but I, I, like I said, I loved high school. The, I definitely was what I would define as a dabbler where it's like, you know, I had my core group of friends that were sort of, they were all, they were all just random. It's like dudes that were, it's like I hung out with Troy who was, you know, played in Taken and Nick who played in Taken as well. You went there too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, the only reason that Nick was really like into music in the first place was because, you know, Troy and I started taking the shows and stuff. Um, but the, but yeah, the people that we hung out with were just like these random group of dudes. Like, you know, there was one that was like an artist and just, you know, a goofball. Um, so I wouldn't define them as like outcasts, you know, like from the typical sort of, you know, they sit alone, like they sit in the, well, even though we did sit in the locker or the boys locker room occasionally for lunch, cause we thought we were cool. We had our own like little select group of people that only had to be invited in. That's pretty nerdy. Um, but at the same time, like I was able to also talk to this sort of popular football players and like, you know, I was admitted to that crew. Like they weren't like, Oh, this dude is really, really weird. Like we don't want to hang out with him yeah. and partially just because the school is small, but, um, yeah, I enjoyed my experience in high school and I definitely, um, no, which is odd. Cause you would think by this, I mean, the school has been open now for, 20 some odd years so you think by this time someone would have popped out i mean i occasionally get those like alumni letters and it's like the most exciting thing that people do it's like you know oh they're like you know some large government job or something or they're working for the city here or yeah there's a much 
and I mean, and there hasn't been really, we've been really good at sports, but there hasn't been anybody that's like transitioned to the pros or anything like that, which is strange because the football team, like, you know, has won CIF multiple times. And so it's just, it's weird, but I don't know. Maybe people just aren't allowed to be famous when they come out of there. Okay, right. Yeah. Well, now you've become a man. I have become a man. Uh, I view it like this to interrupt you. Go ahead. I view it as, because I still feel essentially like the same person I was when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. Because okay. I'm essentially doing the same shit. Like music, band stuff, like that. Yeah. So my next question, when are you going to grow up? Yeah. Interesting question. I think this is something that is very, I've had discussions with a few people on this podcast about the idea that this generation is of stunted adolescence, where it's like, basically, I think people between the ages of about like, I don't know, maybe 25 and like 35, this generation of people who have obviously been exposed to independent culture and like have, you know, gone to shows or whatever, like, you know, whether it's like, yeah, whether it is like shows and music or whether it's like independent art, like comic books, like whatever, there's all these inroads to um, sort of a sidestep to mainstream culture and because of that because people become so obsessed with that and like you know wash themselves in it like on a daily basis and become obsessed with it that that's you know that's their reality and like as they grow that still is their reality like whether or not that they become less involved with it they're still identify with it um and so i think that a simple answer to your question as far as am i going to grow up anytime soon i don't I don't see that happening. Like as far as like my tastes and like, am I going to go to show? Am I going to go to shows when I'm like, you know, 50? Probably not. I'll maybe go to, you know, special musical events, but you know, I'm not going to go to the local all ages club and be the weird dude in the back. That's watching, you know, a new hardcore band. Like, I just don't think that that's something that I don't think that's something I'll enjoy at that time in my life. I could be wrong, but, um, but the idea of like the, the stereotypical idea of like growing up and like having those mile markers in your life where it's like, you know, our parents like, okay, here's my career. Here's that signpost that I have moved past. And now I am considered somewhat of an adult or whatever. Like, I think those are so movable now. Like I said, just from that generation of stunted adolescents where it's like, there are some people where you have to do adult things. You can't be a total fuck up and be like, I'm not going to do my taxes. <laughs> it's a joke. But you know what I'm saying, where it's like they're not they're not going to be interested in doing those things. Right. There are added responsibilities that must be maintained. Right. But you can supplement. Right. And you yeah, and you can still be you can still grow as a person and do adult shit but not be bogged down by adulthood if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I and I I think it's going to be interesting like how like that that movie that came out that I know that we talked about at one point, like the other F word, like that punk parent documentary uh, yeah. where it's like, you know, you have people like Lars Fredrickson from Rancid who it's just like, you know, he was never be like the concept of him being a father and like doing that when he got older was like, what I'm going to be fucking dead by him like 35 and mm-hmm. he's not. And he has to exist in this world and like reconcile what he thought back then with what he's experiencing currently. And so, um, I think this generation is going to be really interesting. You're going to see people who are going to not be, or who are going to get married in their mid to late 30s or mid to late 40s. You know, people who are going to like prolong that, you know, 
whatever that experience of a relationship and you know be like well i'm just i'm not interested in getting married in like my mid-20s even though i did i just never i never thought that that was gonna be a part of my life when i was like 20 you know so it'll be interesting but no i don't think i'm ever going to grow up from that perspective i hope you don't either scott don't lose that little sparkle in your eye (laughs) no you have well you're Born ninety three years old. You're an, you're what I like to call an old soul. Okay. Your interests lie outside of the world of children, which the world of children. Oh, you know what I'm saying. Like the, the, I mean, you're you're interested in childlike things, but you're not interested in a lot of the, uh, you know, the the drama that makes a music scene go. You can you can peek into it and enjoy it from that perspective, but sure. you're not involved in it. You're you're from the outside looking in in a way. Yes. Yes. Now, Ray, you have a few um, things you're involved in. I do. I would say you're involved in the Santa Fe Music Festival. You were correct in that assumption. Uh, a No Sleep Records establishment. Yes. Along with your day job as a passionate, passionate <laughs> animal rights activist. Yes. I would, I would agree with some of that. What do you disagree with? No, no. I mean, because I, the word activist obviously just has so many negative connotations. Like Passion? Passion does not have any negative connotations as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I mean, I, I'm an activist, I guess, by just my lifestyle. But, you know, I'm not a protesty person where okay. I'm not going to get on the street corner with the sign and yeah. tell people to do things because I just, that was never something I was interested in. There's a need for that. Right. Just not me. Okay. So yeah, but those are those are all things that I'm involved in because I think I think also that's symptomatic of what a lot of people do like with an independent music and culture in general. Like you're not only involved in one thing for the most part. People whether it's like they've got a million business ideas or a million, you know, they they have to be involved in like all these different aspects aspects and facets of whatever culture it is. I think that's People totally do that, you know, and I think that's, that's obvious. There's obviously an issue with that. Like the whole saying of, you know, jack of all trades, but master of none, like never having the focus to just do one thing. Yeah. Um, And I totally like, that's, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think that I'm not good at one particular thing. I'm, I'm all right at a lot of things. I'm like, I, I can get by on a lot of these things and I can through my shared experiences of doing so many different things, it helps all those things continually like kind of bump up like my level of, you know, for putting it in video game terms, I'm leveling up constantly. But as an overall character. Right. But it may not be like I am, you know, 100% proficient at this one thing because that's what I've just focused my life on, you know. Ten, in nature, you'd survive. That's what I'd like to think. Yeah. 10,000 hours of doing one thing sounds interesting when you're, 12 maybe i don't even know if that sounds interesting when you're 12 but becoming an expert at something like it just i don't know i've never uh, yeah i've never i just never had that laser-like focus to be like this is the one thing i'm going to be dedicated to and committed to besides like music where it's just like i know that i want to always do that so i have a larger question please so you've expressed your interest in sort of niche culture sure do you think about things larger than our societal problems sure or economy sure that is because my introduction to independent music was through band i mean honestly like a band like rage against the machine rage against the machine that was huge for me because 
Right. Rage Against the Machine and Propaganda are two bands that, like, literally cracked my head open as far as showing, like, oh, wow, like, shit isn't all right with the world. Um, so I think because of that, or because of that introduction and always being interested in, like, what is happening outside of, like you said, a very niche and insular world, um, because obviously whatever happens in the real world will eventually trickle down to whatever right. niche you're involved in. And I, th- I do think that the concept and idea of taking the values that you learn within whatever community you're a part of and applying it to the real world. Like, I distinctly remember, you know, when I was going to OCC, like taking uh, communication classes or whatever. And so it's like the, re- the, the real touchy-feely ones where they were like, you know, Socialist. which is fine for you. Um, I get a job. <laughs> get a job. But anyways, so getting up in front of the class and like introducing yourself and like what you're into. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I was, you know, mentioning that like I'm straight edge and like, you know, going to shows and it's like, once you name a few of those things, people be like, Oh fuck that. Like I, that guy's terrifying, like close minded and whatever. Like, you know, a lot of stereotypes that you would have about a person who is into that type of stuff. Yeah. But once I did show them like, I guess kind of the, uh, what a real person can be like while still having those things in their life, that totally just blew their minds, you know, where they were just like, oh, you're not going to beat me up because I have a beer. Or you're not going to, you know, think that me liking whatever pop music is on the radio is like the stupidest choice that you've ever made. Um, so it's like taking whatever experiences you have in your community and like applying it to the real world, like and opening their views up will only help not only just like from their own personal experience, but hopefully on a societal level where it all kind of like it'll build on top of one another because you'd be like oh okay you know using music and independent culture and saying like okay you know you don't need to you know step on everybody's back in order to you know make yourself you know whatever a hundred more dollars and like applying that to obviously people that you know looking what the way that our financial system is set up and it's like survival of the fittest and capitalism i've got no problem with capitalism the way it should be right which is i knew you were going to say that at any point but yeah, being able to apply those things to be like, okay, you know, maybe this doesn't need to be the, you know, end all be all way of how I obtain, you know, my wealth where it's like, you know, I will at all costs, I will walk over people and, you know, it will be, that'll be my only goal. Every, anybody else that gets in the way will obviously be crushed. Like right. how you're going to make your millions, but so yes, the simple the simple answer is I am interested in stuff outside of this world, and um, while I may not be as well versed as other people are, I still try to pay attention to everything that's happening. And my father gives me no choice by continually badgering me about Republican values. Big uh, Romney fan? And I, I don't think he's necessarily a big fan of Romney. I think he's just a fan of no, well, not no government, but much less government, and how the entitlements of all of the social systems that are set up are the destruction of our society from, you know, not, not so much Medicare, but, you know, social security, welfare, all that type of stuff. So I get that every time I come over to his house and I'm just like, see what your boy's doing in the white house. I'm just like, Oh, I can't even have this discussion with you. Cause it's not like a, it's not a discussion. It's a, He's talking about it from the way that he perceives the world to be through his, you know, Fox News purview, because that's that's the world that he exists in. Yeah. So it's like, can't even have a discussion with you about this. So I've got no choice but to be aware. Love debate. I 
I, I tried years ago, like maybe about two or three years ago, just really trying to like, all right, remove like whatever rhetoric and party lines that may exist. Because I, I, me personally, I believe that most people should be issue oriented when it comes to politics. Like Shout out other podcasts. Exactly. Ronan Kaufman. You should be picking out what is important to you and where you stand on an individual basis, as opposed to this huge blanket statement of like, oh, I am a Democrat. And Seems a little ridiculous, doesn't it? It totally does. You have to follow everything. Right. And you ha- there's, there's nuances to everything. So it's like, you know, while you may be fiscally more right-wing, where it's just like, well, I, I do believe capitalism works, and I do believe that, um, you know, entrepreneurship, all these things exist, like, and they are healthy, as long as they're done in an appropriate manner. But then swinging back the other way, where it's just like, you know, there, there does need to be governmental regular, you know, the FDA needs to exist, like we need governmental bodies protecting our society, because otherwise, you know, will the food that we eat be even more polluted than we already have? So yeah, yeah, I do believe that people need to be less focused on what party they're involved with and more focused on individual issues and what is important to them. That'd, that'd be my plot. If I was running for president, that would be my platform and I wouldn't get elected for anything. No, no, you have to be divisive. Right. Yes. Take stand, right? Draw those parts. We're like Stephen Colbert says, we are at war. Pick a side. <laughs> All right, Ray. I have a little controversial question. Please. I love controversy. No, it's not. Okay. What is something at, 32? Yeah, almost 32. 32 years old. Yeah. What is something now that you believe that you didn't at age 25? Mm, let's see, at age 25. Um, what is what is something that's eye-opening? Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, the, the huge experience of having a kid, like, that totally cracks your world open as I far know, as... I mean, you don't plan for it. It just happens. Yeah, yeah, There's just... a lot of things. Totally. Yeah. Just, yeah, like, oh, God, I got to get furniture and, like, all this other stuff. Um, I mean, I think... I think this, this happens to a lot of people, but obviously, like, as you grow older, you become, you know, you become mellower with whatever it is. Like, you know, when I was in high school, when I first started claiming straight edge and being completely annoying and overt about it um would i have done that you know would i do that now like no i wouldn't wear x's to school every day and i wouldn't you know pee in the punch at a high school party like those are things that i look back on and it's like i'm i'm glad i did that at the time i guess like maybe not the pee in the punch thing but the having those experiences like obviously led me to be like, okay, I need to be more reasonable about my views and not like beat that beat people up with it because they're going to look at me and be like, I don't want to be like him. Like that, that is not leading by example. That doesn't seem like an appealing lifestyle because that's, that's what I always found like looking where I'm at today. And then like what I have learned where it's like, whatever you're doing and whatever you're into. And like, if you're trying to convince someone of something, you need to make it like, be appealing, like plain and simple. People are going to be interested in fun lifestyles, like in ease, like ease of transition into whatever it is that you're doing. Um, whether it's like politically, you know, your diet, whatever you need to, you need to make these things as easy for people to understand and kind of transition into, even though some of these things may be difficult, but from the outward perspective, you need to make it be like, Oh, okay. Like that seems reasonable. I can do that. Right. Um, so I think that's definitely one thing that I have learned where it's like, 
from you know my early days where it's just like you, you didn't need to have these um not so much firm lines because i do believe that especially when you're high school you have to align yourself with this identity in some way shape or form because otherwise you're just going to be like adrift in nothing you know um like scott arnold <laughs> which is fine well yeah, you 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 had uh you know you had purple hair and wallet chain so it was okay you were identified to an independent subculture <laughs> misinformation i know i know i know but um the wallet chain was tucked directly into my back pocket purely for security purely <laughs> safety reasons yeah i was riding my motorcycle right totally or your bike yeah <laughs> because you probably weren't riding a motorcycle at the time <laughs> the um but yeah so i think that's the one thing that i have learned where over time you you definitely do like people whether you directly know it like the people that you surround yourself with and the people that observe your own life will, you know, sometimes be directly influenced by that. Be like, oh, okay, like, you know, like, whatever. You, Scott, like, how you've influenced my life as far as, like, just the, you know, the way you are, the way that, you know, I know that I need to treat people differently. Like, I know being loud and touching you isn't the way... It doesn't work. It doesn't work with you. And so it's like having those different perspectives and then you know being able to like learn from others based on the fact that you know you don't draw these divisive lines to where it's like you know oh i don't think i can know i don't think i can be friends with scott because he's so different from me you know so it's like being able to like temper all that and move forward and actually learn from something as opposed to like closing yourself off from those experiences Mm -hmm. because that's what i definitely was doing that in high school where it's just like there were there were times where it's like i wouldn't get to know a person because they, you know, did this one thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously there are certain instances where it's like, okay, you're a white supremacist, probably not interested in hanging out with you, but those are extreme examples, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you've, you've taught me, Scott. I appreciate your, your teachings. What are three pieces of advice? The advice that you would give little Raymond today with your experiences. Yes. The, Yes. What would you tell him about how to live his life? How to live his life. Um, well, I, I obviously have thought about this a lot. Okay. I'm Think of me a little right now. Okay. Um, which would be terrifying if you were this large at 16 months old. He may not be yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've all thought that. Yes, we all, we all have thought that. Um, the, I guess spinning off on that point what you were saying or what you asked what i've learned you know looking back you know 31 versus 25 um the idea this has especially been true over the past like two years of my life where it's like i've said yes more often than i've said no as far as just like different experiences are concerned um so always be open to new possibilities challenges um even though that may seem like weird initially or scary in some way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. You saying yes to something that may be scary might open you up for two or three other things that are easy for you to do and are awesome and are a great experience. And but the only reason they that they were afforded to you is because you said yes to this original thing. So say yes to a lot of different things within reason, obviously. Because <laughs> obviously, if you get offered drugs, you should probably say no to that. Well, yes, it's debatable in Scott's world. Um, and then being the age-old cliche. Wait, is this number two? This is number two. Okay. Moving on, number two. So yeah, number one, 
say, saying yes and being open to experiences. Number two, putting like literally, this is the oldest cliche in the book, but putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Absolutely. You, what's always benefited me is knowing where other people come from. Like, you know, whether it's professionally or whether it's like, obviously like how you are with friends where it's like, if you don't have any idea where it is that they're coming from or like how hard a job is, you're going to be a dick. Like you're going to be expecting something that you maybe not have communicated clearly to either a friend or a coworker. Um, and you're like, you know, Hey, why don't they do this thing? You know, because for whatever reason, um, whether it's like I said, executing, you know, a piece of work professionally or whether it's like, Oh, why is my friend treating me like this? Well, maybe it's because I wasn't clear with them. Like you always have to put yourself, what, why are they treating me this way? Or why are, why is our relationship strained or whatever? Um, and the moment that you do that, you just receive so much clarity. And like, once you actually do understand, like as you grow older and be like, okay, I know why this person is the way that they are. And I know how we can get along and we can have a, you know, fruitful relationship. And it's only because you put yourself in whatever it is that they experience and got taken the time to know them as an individual. And this can transition perfectly into my third point, which is be genuine. Above all, the most, the, the thing that whether or not people like me or dislike me, the fact that I've always tried to be as genuine as I possibly could, whether it's like how I express myself musically, um, through this podcast, professionally, as friends, whatever. I want to be as genuine as I possibly can and like, let you know why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, because I think that a lot of people are tripped up when they go through life and like, the, the worst thing, especially when it comes from like the music industry, like the idea of networking, the, like the, that word in and of itself, like is that you want to throw up when you hear that. Cause you imagine like a hotel conference room and like, Hey, network with these 30 people. Yeah. It's the fucking worst thing ever. So but there's a huge difference where it's like if you approach an, like an event like that where you're just like, okay, I'm going to network and I'm going to find these people. But if you're like, all right, I'm going to meet two people from this shitty event and actually like get to know them as an individual and like break away the layers of like, oh, what it is, what, what is it that you do for work? Oh, you're a supplier of, you know, erasers for pencils. And it's like, how the fuck did you end up there? Like once you go past that, then you start to know. It, everybody has a story. I mean, some of them may be less interesting than others, but you should take the time to know those people yeah. because they're going to feel, no matter what, if someone takes the time to get to know you, you're going to feel more personal connection with them. And it's like, say they do come to you for something professionally or need, you know, I need help moving on Saturday, whatever. You're going to want to do that because you're like, they're cool. Like yeah. they actually took the time to get to know me. So be genuine and like be genuine in the way that you're interacting. Because it's like, you, you, I mean, you've met a million of these people where it's like, you know, they shake your hand and they're like, oh, like, you know, what do you do? And, you know, like, it, especially like, I'm sure when you were doing the record label and you were experiencing so much crazy shit, like, you know, meeting Rick Rubin and all this other stuff where yeah. it's like, you were meeting people that wanted something from you. Right. And I'm sure if any of those people took like two minutes to like know you as a 19 year old kid who were, you know, scared shitless and be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, right. You probably would have been like, well, that person's kind of cool. Like, but I would counter that by going uh -huh. back to point number two. Yeah, yeah. And recognizing that everyone has 
realize their motivations. And it's very as true. As soon as you put two and two together and yes. realize what people are going for, yeah, how you can help them. How you can help them. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, there's, there's, they definitely interplay with one another. But then obviously, like, and those people, if they are genuine about what they want from you, then right. like you said, it's much easier to be like, okay, like, I get it. We're, we are going to be professional with Our one another. Line. Totally, yeah. totally. And then you can move on from there. But yeah, those are, those are, those are nice tenets that I would like to uh, have Raymond take into his future life. Okay, great. Yes. I'd like to tell Raymond a few things too. Okay, please. Um, I want you to work hard in high school. Okay. Um, it's not going to be fun. You're going to have to miss a few things. But yes. Once you get that scholarship to public school, it's going to make life a lot easier. It will. It will. 27 years old with these college loans. An albatross around your neck. Yeah. I have a college savings plan for him already. But I realistically... By the time he's in college, it's going to be $8.4 million. Totally. I think that concludes our podcast. I agree completely. Thank you, Scott, for welcome. flipping the tables. I hope you enjoyed it in some way, shape, or form. It was a miserable experience. Okay, good. I'm glad. And there you have it, my friends. Well, uh, you got to know me a little bit better. And um, here's to another 25 or 50 or 150 episodes. And a uh, big thanks to my friend Scott for obviously doing this. And big thanks to propertyofzack.com. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. And uh, tune in next week for other awesome shenanigans. All right. 